As many of you may know, you may not, I'm Brian, I'm one of the pastors here. I get the privilege uh, throughout the week to work with students, Uh, and so my primary responsibility is just students from ages 11 all the way to 25, and some of you just looked at me cross-eyed because you're like, how do you do it? I don't know, but I do it. So, no, I love it. I know I, I always tell people, you know, some people love kids. Their purpose is with kids. Others is with adults. I'm like, I don't like either one. I don't like adults or kids. I like stu- No, I'm just playing. I like all people, really, but uh, my niche is with students. I love just the opportunity to get to speak to them, get to be a part of their lives, and help them discover who God is calling them to be their purpose, right? Because I think one of the biggest challenges for students today is to find their identity and who they are as who God has called them to be and then step out into that and live life on purpose, with purpose. And that's, that's a big thing. And that's not just for students. That's my heart for everyone in here today is that you would find your purpose. Number one, you'd find who you are in God But even more than that, that you find the purpose, the call, the destiny that he has placed on your life and that you live that life intentionally, unashamedly, because I think it it speaks volumes and it's needed in this generation now more than ever. And and my heart, and I want to share this with you, is is I've got to tell you, last weekend we had just an amazing privilege of taking 50-plus students to our summer retreat. Uh, We went to Lake Williamson, which is up in Carlinville, just had an amazing time, right? There's nothing more fun than putting the smallest middle school girl you have on the end of a blob and getting the biggest guy you can find to jump off a 10-foot tower, hit the blob, and send the little middle schooler about 15 to 20 feet in the air, and then watch them hit the water. I mean, it's just, it's fun. Some of you are like, how can you do that? They want us to do that, okay? So that's part of summer retreat. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We have a blast when we are there, but even more than that, some of the, the greatest moments that we have are just the opportunities where we allow students to get alone with Jesus. And, and I wanted to share just as a testimony of what God's doing in the lives of our students is, is we had the opportunity, like I said, to go there for a weekend and Saturday night, um, through the whole weekend, actually, we were just talking about identity. We had themed the weekend brand and asked the question, what's your brand? And talked about identity what they found themselves in, who they found themselves in. And we were really just talking about on Saturday night just the idea of finding yourself in Jesus. And the Bible tells us a story in Matthew where Jesus himself is speaking and he says, those who build their house on the rock are like a a smart carpenter. When the winds and waves and life's troubles come and crash against that house, it will not fall, it will not disintegrate because it's built on the rock, and he goes on to say, "Those who build their life on the sand are foolish, because when life's troubles come, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the storms, and it hits the house, the house will crash and disintegrate." And we talked about the notion of building our identity, building our life on Jesus. And as we did that, at the end of the night, we laid out a bunch of rocks on the ground, and we had markers sitting around, and we asked the students at the end of the night, we said, hey, um, what we want you to do is to come forward and find a rock and sit with that rock for a few moments and just pray and just ask God to reveal some things to you, to show some things to you. And I told them, I believe that if they would do that, God would speak some words over their life. And that when he did that, to write those words down on that rock so that they could just begin to remember those things. And I told them that that was just a symbolic visual reminder 
of what God wants to do in their life. And as even as they get older and go through life, that they would take that rock and as more words would come to just continue to write those words. And I was just so amazed at the move of the Spirit of God on Saturday night as student after student came and grabbed their rocks and they began to write these words that God was speaking over them, some of them just sobbing, some of them you could see the countenance of their face change because what they had believed about themselves, God had spoken something into their life that completely changed their thought pattern and their process. And even our leaders got involved in this and they began to just pick up some rocks and throw them out. And, and I think one of the most exciting things for me uh, being there was is I got to see these students. They would run up to me at the end of the night and be like, hey, Brian, take a look at what God said. And he would show me the words that were written on their rocks and they would begin to just kind of talk about how God had spoken it to them, whether somebody had come up to pray for them and said a specific word like boldness or something of that magnitude. And it was just amazing to see just this newfound identity form in our students. And I think one of the ones that stood out to me wasn't one of our students, but one of our leaders who picked up a rock and began to write on the rock and at the end of the night came up to me. And, and if you know this individual, I'm not going to share names, but you would understand that they had just written something. They haven't had the easiest life. Things had really kind of just gone awry over the last little bit. And um, he comes up to me at the end of the night and he's like, hey, Brian, I want to show you what God said about me. And I'm like, okay, I'm bunking with you, so I can't run away from you at this point. So let me just see the rock, right? I was a little nervous because uh, I didn't know what it was going to say. And then I had to figure out how to decipher glyphs because that seemed to be what it was written in. And, um, no. and as I did that and I began to just kind of look at the words that were there, this man wrote on his rock that God has called him to be an outstanding youth leader. And as we began to talk about that, and I began to dive into that with him, he said, you know, I just believe that God is going to use me to show students how to live a life that is worthy of the call that he has for them. And that just broke me because that's what it's about. And I don't think it's just for students, like, but that should be the call of our lives. God, may my life, may my calling, may what I do, regardless of anything be a direct point to you so that others may find you, Jesus. And that's what our weekend was about. And so I tell you that if you know students um, that need to be involved, whether they're in your neighborhood, they're in your house, whatever the case may be, bring them out. Not because we want to have this massively large youth ministry, honestly, because we want to see students meet Jesus just be face-to-face -face with Jesus, because I believe that when we do that, life change happens, right? And they get an opportunity to discover who they are and live on purpose. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, is, or today. See, I'm still stuck in my youth mode tonight. Um, but is this idea of destiny, right? Destiny and purpose, they're, they're one in the same. And I put this because I want you to, to really get this and understand this. But destiny and purpose is never something to be hoped for, but in fact, it's something to be fought for in your life. And I want to share a story with you in a little bit, and if you want to go ahead and kind of get there, you can. It's in Genesis. It's chapter 32. We're going to dive into the story of Jacob a little bit, but I want to share this with you because this is what I believe. I believe God has called me not only to make big students, but to make big people. And you might be going, Brian, what does that mean? And it's simply this, 
And I want to try and teach you some of this today and talk with you. Big is just an acronym. Number one, it's brave, right? And what does brave mean? It's, it's not just courage. It's not just those things like running into the face of fear. I think that's a component of brave. But I think one of the biggest things about brave is simply this, is I want to teach people how to be risk takers, that they will chase after the dreams that God has put in their life and not be concerned with what other people think about those dreams. I think some of the biggest People in life chase after what God has called them to chase after, and they don't listen to the voices around them that tell them they can't. The second component is, is I, which is integrity, right? And that is honest. That is a trustworthiness. But I want to take you somewhere with this word, integrity. If you look at its root word, it's integer. And all my math whizzes in the room, you know what integer means, right? It's a whole number, and so when we talk about the idea of someone being in integrity and someone living with integrity, we're talking about someone who lives in a wholeness. They know who they are. They understand who God has called them to be. They can live unimpaired because they are finding themselves and seeing themselves as Christ sees them. And then finally, the G is just godly, right? And that's we want people that chase after God. That's why we encourage you to spend time with Jesus to just seek his face because as you encounter him, your life will begin to change. And in that process, you'll begin to be able to point others to Jesus. And a quote that's really become just drilled into my life over the last few years is from Augustine. And he says this, grant me, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. And I think there's such a beautiful thing that comes when we begin to understand how God has designed us, wired us, even to the point of our interests and personalities and those type of things. And as we turn those to God, it reveals more of who he is. And we get to see him in a different light than maybe we see him in the moment. And so I want to challenge you this morning that as we go through today and we talk about the life of Jacob, don't think that this is something that is for just the young generation, right? Because here's the deal. Destiny and purpose, it has no bearing on age. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest person in the room this morning or you're the eldest person in the room. If you are here this morning, if you are moving and you are breathing, there is still purpose. There is still destiny called over your life. Jesus has something for you. So don't write that off because I want to share with you just some steps to take to really dive in to your destiny, what God is calling you, your purpose. Because I think that's a big question, right? Let's be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think all of us in the room, if we were to go around, the question that lingers most in our mind is, is what's my purpose? right? What's my purpose? Maybe even this question, what's my legacy? What am I leaving behind for others to see? And I want to talk about that this morning with you. So again, if you'll turn Genesis 32 verses 24 through 32, I'm going to read, and then we're going to dive into them, break them down a little bit and talk about them. But this is what it says. It says, but Jacob stayed behind by himself, a man and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And the man said, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. The man said, no longer, your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, God wrestler. You have wrestled with God and you have come through. And Jacob asked, but what's your name? And the man said, why do you want to know my name? 
And then right then and there, he blessed him. And Jacob named the place Penel, which is God's face. And because he said, I saw, the, I saw God face to face and lived to tell the story. And the sun came up and he left limping because of his hip. And now I'm sure if you've been in church, you may have heard that story before, but let me give you a little bit of history before that story. So Jacob is the one who has deceived his brother, stole his brother Esau's birthright. And so what's happening as we're coming up to this is because of all that turmoil, because of some things in his life, Jacob had left his homeland and gone elsewhere. And God has now made a promise to Jacob and said, I want you to return to your homeland because I'm going to bless you there. I'm going to fulfill a promise that I gave to your ancestors that you'll be too numerous. Your nation will be too numerous to even count that I'm going to use you to bless all nations. And so Jacob's like, okay, God, you've given me my purpose, my destiny. And so I'm going to go after it. And on the way there, he begins to realize something that his brother is still in the land. And this is the guy he has stolen his birthright from. And so Naturally, you would think his brother is upset with him, right? And so Jacob just, just kind of deceives, and it's what he does, and, and he's stolen his brother's birth, birthright, and so he begins to put this and formulate this plan together, and so by this point, Jacob has created a, a very successful life for himself. He's got a number of kids, family members. He's got servants. He's got all kinds of livestock, and so he goes, I'm going to just break them up into parties, right, and break them up into small bands and send gifts with them so they get there and they can tell my brother how awesome he is, how much I love him and how much I'm going to give him, all of this stuff. And we'll do that a couple times. And then hopefully by the time I arrive, he won't be mad at me anymore and he won't kill me. And if, he, if we notice that he's killing those other people, I can turn around and run, right? I can sacrifice those few and I'll be safe. Because that's, that's what Jacob is thinking at this point. He's, you know, he's really nervous. He's concerned. God had given him his destiny, but he was still concerned with what was happening, what he had done to this point. He had to reconcile even his own past before he could walk into that. And I want to share just a little bit about myself. Some of you may know this, you may not, but I didn't grow up in Missouri. I grew up in Virginia, just outside of D.C. Um, and at the early age of three years old, my parents divorced. And you would think that I wouldn't remember a lot about that. And there are details I don't, but I do remember the impact that it had on me. Uh, and it caused some really, really severe issues um, that I didn't realize until I was older, and it wasn't my parents' fault. How funny is that, right? Like in the moment, I would want to blame my parents, but the reality, it was things that I was putting on myself. And as I began to grow up, um, one of the greatest things in my life happened from that divorce. And I tell people all the time, I don't like divorce. I don't think it's a great thing, but if God's in something or in your life or wants to be in your life, he can take sometimes what seems to be awkward and devastating and really make it good, right? One of my favorite scriptures of all times, all things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, which is Romans 8, 28. And that just rings true in my life for so many reasons. But even thinking back in that moment, this, because through the divorce, um, my biological parents weren't really involved in church. I had no upbringing in church whatsoever. But when my dad chose to remarry, my stepmom comes into my life and her and her family were so ingrained in the faith that it became my introduction to who Jesus was. And I'd like to tell you that right there in that moment, my life was turned around for Jesus. I haven't done anything wrong since, but that'd be a lie because I was a mess as a teenager, right? I just, maybe that's why I gravitate to him now because I understand. 
Um, but, but one of the earliest memories I have of an encounter with Jesus was as a kid going to kids camp. And um, my daughter is getting ready to go for the first time here in a week, and so I'm super excited because I'm like, God, just wreck her life like he did mine. It's cool. Um, uh, but one of the things about that was is even as a young kid, I think six, seven, maybe a little bit older than that, I can't remember specific date, but I remember God speaking to me, and while I was at that camp, he said, hey, Brian, I want you to just use your, your personality, your language to tell people about me. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And so I ran home and would just tell anybody that listened, even as a young age, God called me to be a pastor. Because that's the only thing I knew at that point that you could use your personality and language to tell people about Jesus. And so that's what I just, you know, I gravitated to. Like I said, I wish I could tell you that that moment caught me and it stuck with me, but I got into high school and did some pretty messed up stuff. We can talk about that later. Um, but, but the reality was is that God had given me my destiny and purpose in that moment. And little did I know that I would have to walk through a process pretty much for the rest of my life to keeping that destiny in front of me. And I gravitate to this story this morning of Jacob because it shares a similar backing. Jacob has done some pretty crazy things. God has given him a destiny and now he has to confront some things in his life. And I want to challenge you today that if you're searching for your destiny, you're searching for your purpose this morning, if you put some of these principles in place, you're going to set yourself up for success. Jacob's life gives us a picture of what to do when we want to continue to face and seek the destiny that God has for us. And the first thing this morning that I want to share with you from this is right there at the beginning. And this is just what it says. It says, Jacob stayed by himself, right? And I put this, you will never be great for any eternal purpose if you can't be by yourself. And now hear me, I'm not saying you need to move to the hillsides of Missouri, cut off all contact with everybody, only come down for supplies, unless that's what you really wanna do, I'm cool with that, right? Some of you are like, that sounds like a perfect life. Uh, because I'm not saying avoid relationships. There's beauty and power in forming connections in relationships. But what I'm talking about is this idea of loneliness, right? The, the concept and the construct that the world has put on loneliness. I meet too many people, not just students, but people in general. They cannot be by themselves. If they're alone, if they're by themselves, they feel like they are failing at life. They feel like they have to have somebody with them, whether it be a friend, whether it be, you know, a relationship that they have to be in. You know, I even talked to some of our older college students. It's like you don't have to have a significant other to have significance. But so many people think that. They think their life is meaningless if they don't have somebody in it and then that if they don't find a connection, that they can't do anything. And the reality is, is, is that loneliness needs to be our friend when that friend drives us closer to Jesus, right? Aloneness can be something great that is powerful when it pushes us to Jesus. And the reason why I share this with you is because I think so many of us, we fight that, right? We don't, we don't like the notion, but look at what Jacob did. Jacob had an opportunity. He could have said, hey, I'm going to go with my family and cross over this river and do all this stuff and never give an opportunity to be by himself. But chances are he would have never heard the voice of God. See, I think God is longing and desiring to speak to us, but too often because of our fear of being alone, 
We surround ourselves with too many people and too many voices that we never can distinguish God's voice in the midst of them. And we need moments where we get to be alone so we can hear God's voice clearly so that he can speak to us, right? So that he can change our lives, that he can begin to do something significant within us. But too often, we bring everybody in and we leave God out. And then we want to throw our hands up in the air and go, God, where are you? And he's going, I've been here the whole time. You just won't get away from everything else to listen to me. And so for Jacob, he recognized this and he sends his family across and he stays by himself. And it's the beginning process for him to find Jesus. And I relate to this so much because growing up in high school, some of the scars that I had from things that I never dealt with as a young kid, like I said, my parents divorced and some other things that had gone on. I had this immense desire to please people. I wanted people to be around me. I wanted people to like me. Still to this day, if I'm not careful, that creeps in a lot, and I want everybody to like me. And so don't come up to me after the service and go, man, that was a great message, just because you want to see me smile and make me think you like me. You got to be honest, okay? Uh, you're going to help me out here. No, I, I, but I'm honest. And, and in that, I struggle with that, because my desire is to make everybody around me like me. And so what happens is, is because I'm fearful that they might not like me or I might end up by myself in that regard. And you can ask my wife, I do not like being by myself. I'm a people person, right? I'm the guy you run into at Walmart. You might dread it, but we're going to talk for two hours before we leave because that's just me, right? I spent Thursday night hanging out with a bunch of guys. We met at six o'clock at the dinner at a restaurant and we didn't leave till 11 because we like to talk, right? That's that's me, but I find it, if I'm not careful, that becomes my existence, is to make people like me. And in high school, what I began to do is I began to pretend, I began to put on a facade, I began to be whomever the other person needed me to be so that they would like me. So if I was around a bunch of sports and jock style people, that's what I was. If I needed to be the class clown and cut up in the middle of class, that's what I would do because I wanted people to like me because I didn't want to be alone, because if I was alone, I had to then wrestle with the notion of who I was. This way, I could pretend to be something, and everybody liked me. I didn't have to face myself or the rejection that was there, and I think too many people do this in life, and we're missing out on what God has for us, because God, a few years back, spoke something to me that has resonated with me, and it's made me understand that loneliness is not a bad thing when it pushes me or presses me to the face of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to me, and I hope it resonates in your heart this morning. He said this, until you give up your desire to prove your worth to people, you will never find your worth in me. And over and over in my life, God is always asking me, am I more important to you than your human relationships? And I have to go back to that. You know, I tell students and people all the time, and some of them look at me like I'm crazy, but my relationship with my wife is not more important than my relationship with God. Because if my relationship with my wife becomes more important than my relationship with God, then the very foundation of which I've built my marriage crumbles underneath. And so it has to be that way. You look at it like a triangle, right? And this is a really bad triangle, but hang with me. God's got to be at the top, and when both people are pushing towards God, guess what? They get closer as a natural byproduct. Too many of us, we think we start down here and just go across. Well, if I get close to this person, then we can focus on God. 
And the reality is, is that never works because we get so singularly focused on everybody else that our desire stops becoming to please God and it becomes, becomes pleasing other people. And we fail. And then when we don't have anybody or that person leaves us for whatever reason and we're left alone, we don't know where to go because we've never pushed for that relationship with Jesus. And we need to get there. Because when you're in a relationship with someone else, it can be powerful if God is the center point. It can be amazing if he's there. I tell students this all the time, and this will be good for you. Understand this. The people in your life have to have two qualities. They need to love Jesus, and they need to love you. If those two things are there, man, make them a close friend. If one of them is missing, let them be an acquaintance. It's cool to hang out with them. It's cool to talk to them but don't let them be close because then your dependence is gonna become on them more than it'll be on God. Make God the center of your relationships and I promise you'll begin to understand what it is to finding your destiny, right? You'll begin to understand what your purpose is and that's usually the first obstacle for any of us to overcome is to understand that it's okay to be by yourself and not have to have someone around you at all times. The second part is simply this, is later in that verse, it says it was nighttime, you know, and it said this, but during the night, and when you read in scripture, often a lot of times night is a spiritual representation of the absence of feeling. And so I put this, a lot of your destiny, a lot of your purpose will be created in your dark times, right? In a place where you don't really feel good about things. And I want to share just something with you. Um, Tabitha and myself, we had the privilege of being youth pastors in Kentucky. Uh, And we spent some time there. It's in London, Kentucky. I used to joke, you know, I lived in London, but it was just London, Kentucky. Uh, You probably wouldn't even know where it is if you looked on a map. That's okay. Um, But during our time there, one of the most amazing things happened. We watched one of our youth ministries just flourish. It blossomed. It began to grow. Our worship team that was there, led by students and all that, got so popular within the area. They were opening up for bands when they would come in for concerts, doing a bunch of different stuff like that. We traveled to a number of places to help lead worship for conventions and things like that. Our youth ministry on the outside looked like it was exploding and going amazing, right? And then one day I get a call from our pastor and he says, hey, I need you to come into the office and talk to me. And in my head, I'm going, man, this is going to be a great conversation, right? Here comes a raise because things are going good. And he sits me down and he looks at me and he just goes, you know, we've gone as far as we can go with you. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, you've gone as far as you can go with me. And he goes, well, we're going to let you go. And on the outside, it didn't look like anything was really going wrong. But underneath it all, I had done a really good job of, of building the students. And I'm not saying what God did there wasn't important. But what I had failed to see was is I wasn't building any leadership underneath. And the pastor ended up firing me. And that was one of the hardest things I had to deal with in my life because I had never had to really deal with that kind of failure. Growing up, I was a baseball player. And in high school, I started all four years at at center field for my baseball team. I had schools that were looking at me. I never really had to encounter a failure in my life until this moment. And I didn't understand it. I went home. You could talk to Tabitha. I was so upset. I was so mad. I was like, I'm done with ministry. I just want to go back home. I don't care if it means I have to install ceramic tile and hardwood floor and all that stuff. I just don't want to be in ministry. And so we left and went back home. And that's what I started to do. 
because I was just so frustrated and I couldn't understand why it had happened the way it happened, why God had done some things the way he had done some things. I thought things looked really good. And at the, mo- at the time, I didn't see God working in that because what I was doing was I was basing everything on feeling, right? I was basing everything on what was happening around me. And Watchman Nee has this quote. He says this, a genuine Christian life is not one of feeling, but rather one of choices, That's good because a lot of times I think we judge and I know what I was doing when I was in Kentucky is I was basing my spiritual life on a feeling. Everything felt good, but underneath I wasn't making the right choices to build the foundation that needed to be built under there. And I was fortunate that even though it may not have been done in the right way, there was a pastor that said, hey, I need to let you go because you need to figure this thing out or you're not going to be able to live up to your purpose, your destiny. And so, like I said, we left and we went uh, back home to Virginia and I, we were just working and doing all this stuff. And we got the unique privilege. There was a church plant that was starting. An amazing man named Mark Smith comes into my life as the pastor of this church. And he was one of the guys at bar none, one of my favorite pastors I've ever been a part uh, and been able to work with, with the exception of Josh Earls, just in case he watches this later. <laughs> No, he was just an amazing man. He had an ability to come in and just pull things out of you to help you grow. He gave us a place where we could heal a little bit and rest and really still kind of pursue the call and the purpose that God had on our lives. And eight months into that relationship, into that uh, position there in Virginia, he passed away from complications from a stroke. And so you can imagine how devastated not only I was, but the church was because the church was having a lot of life we had bought property. We were getting plans prepared to build a church. All of that. So it, it was just an exciting time. And all of a sudden, we lose him unexpectedly like that. You know, I still to this day play the moment where I pull up to the gas station because we were all getting together. We did once, you know, like once a month to go somewhere, and he would just show us things and talk to us while we were driving. And as I got in the car, you could just tell something was wrong, right? It was one of those things, and he was trying to tell me that something's wrong And we ended up having him rush to the emergency room. And then, you know, days later, we find out that he is no longer with us. And it was devastating. And so here's another dark moment, a night in my life. And I didn't fully understand in that moment, but God was teaching me something in that process that my life needed to be built on not how I felt, but choices, the choices that he called me to, to be able to build the character and the courage and the fortitude within me that even in the midst of some of the most difficult things, that doesn't mean my purpose vanishes or disappears. And so we brought in another staff member. He takes the reins. A year and a half later, it comes to light that he's had a moral failure and he has to resign. So you're, you talk about being in some pretty crazy moments. We were in that moment. And here we go again, and in my head, I'm wrestling with this notion, God, you've called me to do this, but every time I go somewhere, it seems like it falls apart. And I was basing my whole purpose and destiny on how I was feeling in the moment. So God, this can't be right. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. And so Tabitha and I, we step up and we lead this church, and then finally, you know, the church gets some good feet, and they get going again, and we're like, You know, we've been through too much, so we have to step away. And as God would have it, he brought us here. 
And we've been so grateful to be here because God's really enabled me an opportunity to understand all of what I'm sharing with you today. That's when this story became real to me because I began to relate it to my life and see that it's not about how I feel in a moment. I could look around and tell you that our youth ministry is doing great, but the real component to that is, is what am I choosing to do to make sure it remains that way? And my question to you today in life is, is maybe life is great. Maybe it's not so great, but what are you choosing to do every day that builds that foundation on Jesus? See, for Jacob, what he was doing is, is he was allowing himself to be alone, and then he was understanding, though, even in the emotion, the fill of the moment, he was scared. Do you understand that? He was scared to go face his brother. There was a lot of fear in that, and he had to choose to let go of that fear and chase after what God had told him to do, that God had promised for him. So it's not about how you feel this morning, but what are you choosing to do? The story goes on to tell us that an angel appeared, right? As if it's not freaky enough to be on the side of the river by yourself at night. Now all of a sudden this man appears. Most of us would just run, right? Like I'm not even going to address this, but not Jacob. He's like, dude, we're gonna fight it out. I don't know what you came to steal, but we're gonna take it. I'm not giving it up lightly. And so he begins to wrestle with this guy and he wrestles till daybreak. The scripture tells us this, that an angel appeared as a man, wrestled with him until daybreak. And I had never wrestled in high school or anything like that outside of just wrestling with students for fun and things like that. But I have talked to some people that wrestled and I found out that wrestling is not fun, right? It is, I don't know why somebody would wanna do it, right? In and of itself, the first thing is, is you've got to like gain weight or cut weight like at the drop of a hat. Like you could be like, Two days, you got to lose 25 pounds. So that means you just got to stop eating. I'm like, I can't do that. Uh, you know, and it, it, it just amazes me, you know, because it's, it's one of those things. It's so funny, too. Like, even in wrestling, right, you're never comfortable. I found that out talking to some of the wrestling buddies and people that I've had conversations with. You're never comfortable, even when you're in control or maybe even in winning or in a, a good position, it's still not comfortable because your body's twisted, contorted, it just doesn't feel right. And then sometimes you have to be down on the mat and somebody else has to get on you to start the, the whole thing off and you're like, that's just weird right there. And it, but they do it and I found this out that wrestling's not comfortable, but if you have to feel well, this is what people tell me. If you have to feel well in wrestling, you won't do good. There has to be a level of uncomfort that builds within you in order for you to do well because you have to be okay with the closeness of the other person. Sometimes the sweat dripping off them onto you. Like some of us are like, I am never wrestling, right? It's just, but that uncomfortableness is a part of it. And if you want to be successful, you have to be willing to endure it, even though it's not fun. You'll have to wrestle for it. And it's no different with your purpose, with your destiny. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable and convenient. And the question is, is are you going to turn and run when it's not convenient? Or are you going to wrestle for the destiny that God has called for you? Some of you, I believe this morning, God is already placing in your mind the call for your life. Some of you, you've had it there for years. You've just been unwilling to wrestle for it. And God's saying, if you wrestle for it, I will give you your promise. I will give you your destiny. And what does wrestling look like for us? It's getting out of our own minds. It's getting away from the things in life that tell us to run 
or tell us to avoid the difficult things. He wants us to go after things. That's why one of the biggest things I teach people in general is be a risk taker. Be a risk taker. Because here's the deal. Failure is not final. Too many of us believe that. If you step out and you make a mistake, it's okay. Get up, do it again. It only becomes final if you stay there. I've asked this question multiple times. I'll continue to ask it. How do you drown? By staying in the water. You don't drown because you fall in the water. You drown because you stay there. And it's the same thing with failure. You don't die in failure. Or because you failed. You die because you choose to stay there. It's whether you control it or not. And so for some of you, you've got to begin to wrestle with that and take some chances. Stop listening to what everybody else says and start listening to what God says. And take some chances, step out, do some things that are a little bit different, right? Stop sacrificing your future on the altar of the present. Stop giving up on what God wants you to do just because it's, it's not comfortable right now. See, too many of us, we throw our destiny away because it's too hard. I don't want to work for it. I don't want to sweat a little bit. I don't want somebody else to sweat on me a little bit, Right? But in order sometimes to fill that destiny, we, man, we got to get in there. Jesus did it for us. God could have easily saved us from a distance, but he said, no, I'm going to send Jesus right down into the midst of it all. He met us right where we're at, and we need to do the same thing. Meet him right where you're at. Stop running from it. Fight it. The next thing it's found in verse 25, it says this, when he saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, the Bible tells us that he wrenched his hip to get away. And I just put this, grit and endurance is a great predictor of success, right? Even if you don't think you're doing it right, maybe your life isn't perfect right now, maybe you're not making all the right choices, don't just throw in the towel. Keep going, keep fighting. It's it's not about perfection, but direction. Hear that this morning. It's not perfection, but direction. It's not about getting up every day and going, I'm going to be perfect today. It's getting up and saying, you know what? Today is going to be better than yesterday. I'm going to be closer to Jesus today than I was yesterday. I'm going to chase my destiny a little bit harder today than I did yesterday. That's what it's about. But too many of us, if it's not the perfect scenario, if it's not the perfect a season, if it's not the perfect moment, if it's not the perfect feeling, well, it, it can't be right. Can I tell you something? It's never going to be perfect. We live in a fallen world. Things happen. Struggles come. People are going to break your heart. I tell students this all the time. You stay around me long enough, at some point, I'm going to fail you. Why? Because I'm human. That's not my desire. It's just, it's going to happen at some point. And you can choose to base everything on me and your relationship with God is centered around me and you're gonna live a miserable life. Or you can choose to say, hey, you know what? I can take the truth that God is using to, through him to speak into my life and I can follow Jesus, the one that is perfect, that will never fail, that will set us up for success, right? Because here's the deal. Tozer says this. He says, God never uses a man or woman he can easily get rid of. God wants us to fight for it. Think about the story of Job. That is probably one of the craziest stories in the Bible if you've ever read it. 
A man that serves God, fears God, has everything in his life taken away, and it seems like God is for it. But what God is doing is he's building something within him. He's trying to show Job in and of himself who he is and what he's called to be. And I believe for some of us, and I'm not speaking those dark times over you this morning, but what I'm saying is, is if you fight for those moments, if you wrestle in those moments, if you truly determine within yourself that I'm going to be a person of grit and endurance, that even in some of those dark moments of life, God will reveal your character and who you are. See, true champions know that pain is only seasonal, right? I had a goal at the beginning of the year was to lose 50 pounds by the end of this upcoming year because at the beginning of the year, I'd realized I was the heaviest I'd ever been. I felt super uncomfortable, right? The challenge became when I had to go to the gym, right? Because I like to be around people. I just don't like to be around weights. Um, that's just, just truth. And one of the things about lifting weights that I always dread is, is not so much the lifting weights in the moment, it's what happens the day after when I feel like I cannot move and every part of me is on fire and I need people to come pick me up out of a chair, right? It, it's painful. It's painful. It hurts. But now, halfway through the year, when I'm down 25 pounds and I go out on a Monday night to run while I'm playing softball and things like that, it feels so great because I'm not carrying around an additional 25 pounds. It feels amazing. And so the pain had purpose. And that's what I have to keep telling myself every time I go back to the gym, because look, I still don't like to go to the gym. If I can avoid weights, I will avoid weights. But I have to assign purpose to the pain. And that's what you need to do in these moments. Assign purpose to your pain. When you're going through something that's difficult, set your eyes fixed further. God, what are you doing in me? What is the purpose behind what I'm facing? And as you do that, you'll understand that pain is often a passageway to promotion. And we look in verses 26 through 28. I'm not going to read them, but Jacob is wrestling with this guy and he takes his hip out of socket and finally goes, what do you want from me? And Jacob's wanting to know. And so the guy goes, what's your name? And he goes, Jacob is my name. Deceiver. Think about that. And the guy goes, no, no longer is your name Jacob, but it's Israel, God wrestler, one who had wrestled with God and prevailed. So his name changes from deceiver to a prevailer. And often in scripture, when we look at a name change, it's not just speaking of their name, but it's a character change within their life. So this moment is taking, Jacob is changing who he is. All of what he's been through, even the point of wrestling is changing who he is. And some of you today, God needs to give you a new name. And I'm not talking physical. Like if your name's Bob and you want to be Jim, you just got to go to the legal office and change it, okay? We're talking spiritual here. God wants to tell you who you are. He wants to speak into your life a character that he's been developing through whatever it is you face. The high times and the low times will build our character. It will do something. But here's the significant thing. Here's the thing I want you to keep in your mind. You rarely ever notice the change in your own character, no matter how sincere you are. Both good and bad changes will creep up unexpectedly. So you have to live purposefully. 
Because if you're not choosing to live and hear the voice of God and let him speak those character changes in you, if you're not addressing the moments that you're facing in your life and having the courage and the endurance to walk through them, you won't see the changes take place. And here's the deal. God wants to use you to significantly change someone else's life. But he can't do that if you won't let him significantly change yours. And that's what God is teaching Jacob in this moment. He's understanding that. And the one thing that Jacob's going to have to battle that I think we're all going to have to battle as we move forward and we get closer to our destiny and our purpose is simply this. It's self-deception, right? It's really, really easy for us to pretend we're in a better place than we are. It's really, really easy for us to begin to look at other people's lives and go, well, I'm not as bad as they are, so I don't have to do this. And Jacob had to wrestle with that. He could have looked across and been like, man, look at what I have compared to what everybody else has. I don't need a blessing. I don't need a name change. Yeah, I was a deceiver, but look at what it's got me. But he listened to the voice of God. And there's been a quote that's resonated in our family for a while. Jeannie Mayo says it, and she's been a close mentor of mine and really has just spoken into my life so greatly. And she says this, others may, but I may not. Others may, but I may not. And so speaking of your destiny and your call and your purpose, you have to do what God has called you to do. It's not about looking around at what other people do. Well, they do this, so why can't I do that? Or they do this, and so I want to do that. And God's going, others may do that, but you may not. Because if you do that, you lose your purpose. You lose your destiny because it's not designed for you. Yet too often, especially in our age of social media, right, we look at everyone else's highlights and we compare our lowest moments and go, I can't do that. Look at this life they live. Man, if I had the money they had, what would I be doing? Or if I, if I had the personality that Brian has, man, I'd be the world's best motivational speaker. And we start playing this comparison game, this self-deception game. And we allow it to creep in and it robs us of the very destiny and purpose that God has. And see, my heart for you today and my heart for students across this generation is for them, number one, to have that encounter with Jesus, to be okay getting alone and finding a moment. That Saturday night, that's why we were so intentional about saying, hey, come spend some time with Jesus because I know if they meet Jesus, if you meet Jesus, you can't help but be different because you'll hear the words that he speaks over you. And when he speaks those words over you, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. There's something unique about the voice of God that just gives you an ability to rise above all the chatter when you listen to him. And then as you begin to see who you are, you, your destiny, your purpose is revealed to you. And as that is revealed, man, go for it. Walk in it. I don't care where you're at in life. Maybe you're wrestling for your destiny. You're wrestling for your purpose this morning. Hit the pause button. Call a timeout and go, have I spent time 
with Jesus. And if you haven't, start back over. Because that's what this was for Jacob. It was a start over moment. His whole life, understand this, his whole life, he had been shown who God was. Remember, this is the young man whose father was tied to an altar and his dad was about to sacrifice him. And so I'm sure Jacob heard the story of Isaac recounting and telling how magnificent God was, how amazing God was, that even in a moment of probably his biggest despair, when he was about to die by the hand of his own father, God rescued me because I had purpose, I had destiny on my life, and now I'm passing that destiny, that purpose to you. And see, for all of us, God wants that. God said, I have had a purpose. I passed it to Jesus. And now Jesus has passed that purpose to you. But what are you going to do with it? Because it's going to look different for you than it is me. Am I willing to accept it? And I want to close this morning just by asking a couple questions. And the first question is this, and I want you to think about it. Have you really given everything over to Jesus? Maybe at some point in your life you did, but if you're honest, you've taken the reins back, right? Like you've taken the pen of your own story and you've began to write out your destiny versus allowing God to show you that destiny. And maybe hearing this morning, you're like, ah, I need to give that pen back. I need to hand it back to God and really get alone with him and hear from him. Because it may not be that far off, but can I tell you, one degree off from God eventually at the end of your life will lead to a very big difference. And so while you can, get back on with him. Focus back in with him. And second, maybe you're in here today and you'd say, you know what, Brian, I've never began that relationship with God. I've been searching for my destiny. I've been searching for my purpose, but I've been doing it all in of myself. And I've never given God an opportunity to speak to me. But hearing what I hear today, I want that to change. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close this morning. Maybe you're in here and you're like that first question. You said, Brian, I really want to get back on track. I need to really get with Jesus, be okay with being alone with Jesus so that I can rediscover that passion, that purpose, that destiny that he has for me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? No one's looking around. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you're like the second person this morning and you'd say, you know what? I've never really given God an opportunity, but today I want to make him my savior, the one who's forgiven me of every sin in my life and my Lord, the one who leads me and guides me. If that's you this morning, just slip your hand up real quick. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you right now. First, Lord, I thank you for those hands that went up that would say bravely this morning, God, I choose you, Jesus. Your word declares that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that we are saved. So Jesus, today we confess that we're a sinner, but we believe in you as our savior, that you have come and you died, but didn't stay dead. You were resurrected so that I can be forgiven, that I can be united with you, that I can walk a life that honors you, Jesus. And so I pray right now, be my savior, Jesus, the one who forgives me, the one who restores me, and be my Lord, the one who leads me and guides me and shows me my purpose, God. Be with them this morning. And God, for those who raised their hand and said, Jesus, at one time I did give you everything and I chased the destiny that you had for me, but if I'm honest, 
I've taken the pen and I've begun to write my own destiny. Help me to get back with you, Jesus, because at the end of my life, I don't want to be so far apart from what it is you have for me, God. And I pray for each and every person in here. Begin to reveal yourself to them. Show them who they are, who you say they are, Jesus. And as they begin to see themselves the way you see them, they'll see you in a whole new way, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 